this is my lovely wife, Bethany Temple. I'm sure no stranger to most in this uh, room t this morning, but she's actually, hey guys, two Sundays in a row. I know, it's a miracle. Some say Jesus doesn't work miracles these days. I think we've just proven that wrong. Bethany is here for the second Sunday in a row. Um, as always, uh, we like to just open with a word of prayer before we get into God's word. Everybody okay this morning? I know it's another rainy, it's another rainy day in New England, right? I mean, it's just crazy. We need some more sun, I think, to lift our spirits. Um, but nevertheless, we're going to get into some details about the Son of God today that should stir our hearts and deepen our affections. So before we do that, let's just open with a word of prayer. Ask the Lord to open our ears and our hearts just to receive what he has for us uh, this morning. Uh, Father, again, as always, we come before you. Uh, and we're asking that your spirit would move now, God, in this place, upon our hearts and, and upon our ears, Lord, that we would both have ears to hear and hearts that receive, God. We want to be teachable, God. We want to we understand and really connect, Lord, in a meaningful way to what it is your spirit is saying. And so, Father, I pray, God, uh, that you would do this work in us, that you would prepare us uh, to receive the word of God in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Good morning, friends. Uh, our son is number one. So if they flash number one, it's our son. <laughs> That's what happens when you check your kid in first. They get number one. Um, good morning, friends. Um, so this morning, actually, we're going to open up our Bibles. Um, why don't we actually open up to the, the book of Mark? We're going to today to be talking about baptism. Um, and some of us, this might be a familiar topic, some of this might be an unfamiliar topic to us, but we're going to look at the scriptures today regarding baptism. Um, and first and foremost, I want us to establish that we kind of see the introduction to baptism in the Gospels, right? If you go to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the first couple of chapters, I mean, I can give you the specifics, but just to let you know in proximity, you're going to find John the Baptist was baptizing people. And we actually find the account in um, Mark of John the Baptist baptizing Jesus. This, this happened. So first and foremost, this is our introduction that we see in the word of God to baptism. And the specific language that we find in Mark chapter one, actually verse four says, John came baptizing in the wilderness and preaching a baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. And then you find actually in verse eight, it says, this is what uh, John was declaring. I indeed baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Speaking of Jesus who is coming. And so this is actually where we see the introduction to baptism or the concept or the understanding of being immersed in water. But guess what? It doesn't stop here in the Gospels. Those of us that are a fan of the book of Acts and we see that as the model or the blueprint for the New Testament church, do you know that all throughout the book of Acts, very consistently, we find the salvation of souls and the baptism of souls. And to some degree, we even find the gospel being preached and people themselves saying, I need to be baptized. That was almost their response of go ahead and baptize me. There was an urgency to be baptized. And actually, if we pick up in um, Acts chapter two, if you want to turn there with me, we find the apostles themselves that this was the, the declaration. 
So you see in the Gospels, we see that John the Baptist was baptizing. We also see in the Gospels in Matthew uh, 28, this was what Jesus said before he ascended. And Jesus came and spoke to them saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them. In the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, Jesus didn't really make it a negotiable, right? He actually included it in there. Like, go and preach the gospel, make disciples, and baptize them. And to some degree, we've kind of sidelined the theology or the, the understanding of baptism, that somehow it's a, a secondary issue or it's, it's almost a negotiable issue where Jesus said, go and baptizing them. So Jesus is setting the precedence for us. I just want to say here this morning, if you're here and you're wondering what your call is and you're seeking the Lord for direction for your life, go ahead and read Matthew 28, 19. This was what Jesus' charge to the church was. Go therefore and preach the gospel. Make disciples, baptizing them. Isn't that extraordinary? Teaching them to observe. Oh, here we go. Teaching them to observe all the things I commanded you. Guess what? If you have a question on what is relative to us in this day and in this time, Jesus already taught it. Jesus taught it. He instructed it. You don't have to wonder if it applies to us today. If Jesus said it, it is eternal truth that applies to all generations. So he says, go and preach the gospel, make disciples, baptize them, and teach them everything that I commanded you. That doesn't mean pull out the things that you like and you prefer and you're really comfortable with. That doesn't mean pull out the things that culture will accept and the things that culture likes and will be pleased with you saying. That means go and teach them everything that I have commanded you. That was Jesus's instruction. And so here today, what we're doing is we're teaching what Jesus commanded. And part of what he commanded is the baptism of those that are called sons and daughters of God. So we see Jesus set this precedence. And then we find in the book of Acts, this is extraordinary. If you want to turn to Acts chapter 2, we find the apostles also set this precedence. We see in Acts 2.38, repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins and you shall receive the Holy Spirit for the promise is to you and your children and to all who are far off as many as our Lord will call. Then verse 40, and with many words, he testified and exhorted them saying, be saved from this perverse generation. Verse 41, then those who gladly received his word were baptized. And that day, about 3,000 souls were added to them. Do we see a common thread between what John the Baptist and even Peter was preaching here in the book of Acts? We see a common thread of repentance and the remission of sins and those that are calling upon the name of the Lord. Can I tell you something? Part of the reason in our culture we don't esteem and value and highly regard baptism is I think we've lost the understanding of repentance of sins, of what it, that means that we are sinners 
and that we need a savior to cleanse us. I wanna put this in perspective for you this morning is oftentimes we kind of measure our sin according to the sin of others, right? When I was in the second grade, I know this, I was actually telling my son this story this morning. He was like, isn't that like six years old, mom? I was like, I don't know, second grade, six, eight, I'm not sure. I was raised in a Christian household. I was raised around the word of God. I was, my mom always had worship music playing in our house. I woke up most days to seeing my mom reading her Bible. That's the posture that she was in, or even just like face down on the living room floor. Like that's how I'd find my mom in the morning. Good morning, mom. She's there meeting with the Lord. Thank God for mothers that pray, right? (laughs) Thank God for mothers that create an atmosphere of the presence of God in our home. But you want to know something? As a young child, I was raised around it. I would even call myself a Christian. As a young child, even in first grade, I would lead others to Jesus. And I'm going to tell you this right now. Part of that was based upon just being familiar with it. It wasn't even because of my own experience. I was around it. I was familiar with it. I knew the language of it. I even believed in it. But it was when I was in the second grade, my mother, you guys, how many of you guys? Okay, this was like early 80s here. (laughs) We had a boom box with the cassette tape. And anybody here know the band Petra? Whoa. It's like a Christian, look it up. Yeah, Christian rock band. But they sang worship songs and they just put like the electric guitar on it really heavy, right? So here I am in the second grade and the song is playing Take me into the holy of holies. Take me in by the blood of the lamb. Take me into the holy of holies. Take the coal, cleanse my lips. Here I am. I'm in second grade. I don't understand about the coal. I don't understand about the blood, really. (laughs) None of it's making sense to me, but I'm singing my little second grade heart out. Take me into the holy of holies. Can I tell you something? I remember exactly where I was standing, the room in my house, the door was shut. I was alone in there with the boon box and Petra blaring. I'm gonna tell you something, in the second grade, I encountered the presence of God washing and cleansing me in such a way that it changed me. And I wanna ask you a question, friends. In second grade, I was not drug addicted. In second grade, I was not fornicating. In second grade, I had never committed a sin that the eyes of man would have known or testified of. But can I tell you something? I came out of that room and I said to my mom, Jesus changed me. And she said, what do you mean? I said, I experienced the presence of God and he cleaned me. She said, cleaned you from what? (laughs) I said, I got washed on the inside. Do you want to know what happened to me, my little second grade self? I didn't even know that I needed a savior. I was raised around the language of it. I didn't even know I had darkness inside of me. How does a second grader have darkness inside of me? How is that? We're selfish. We're selfish, aren't we? We're prideful. We want our way. We lie. We rebel, right? My little second grade heart and the sin that I was acquainted with, and you guys know my husband's testimony. He, he shared it freely, coming out of drug use and fornication, all kinds of the, the abyss of darkness. Can I tell you something, friends? It did not require more of the blood of Jesus to save my husband than it required of the blood of Jesus to save my second grade self. 
Do you understand that sin is sin, darkness is darkness, separation from God is separation from God? And, and here's what it comes down to. Most of us are largely unacquainted with the darkness that resides within us because we're not encountering his presence. We're not coming into the light. Do you want to know what it's almost similar to? It's similar to, let's use it this way. If, you, if, a, if a hoarder's house was completely black, right? Like dark, no lights on in the hoarder's house, pitch black. You wouldn't see the mess around it. And even if you had like a little flashlight, it wouldn't look so bad. You'd, you'd find your way to the toilet. You know, you'd find your, it's not until the lights come on that you see the disaster, the mess, the disgustingness, and the need for cleansing. That is exactly us friends. We walk around thinking that we're okay. We walk around thinking, well, I, I don't do that, and I'm not addicted to that, and I don't, so therefore, I'm fine. But in, in, in comparison to the light and the purity and the power and the presence of God, my second grade self or the 30-year-old self that's drug addicted and porn addicted stand the same. They stand in need of a savior, and they stand in need of cleansing. So my little second grade self <laughs> experienced the presence of God in the only way I could describe it. I didn't know enough of this Bible in second grade. Was I got washed on the inside. Do you want to know what I said to my mom? My heart's free. How do you describe it in second? My mom goes, free from what? <laughs> you know, my poor mom was kind of like, what's going on with my second grader? She got some secret life. <laughs> no, it's free of anger. Because guess what? When you're in second grade and you're being disciplined and you don't understand why or your older brothers are picking on you or things are happening at school or you're not receiving the attention, the love that you want, you get angry. And guess what? I had unforgiveness. I didn't even know. How, how about this? In second grade, I didn't even know that my heart was disconnected from my parents already until Jesus touched my heart and I forgave and all of a sudden, everything looked sparkly clean. Sparkling clean and new. This is what John the Baptist, this is what Jesus, and this is what the apostles are talking about. They're talking about the cleansing of sin and the remission of sins. It, it's the greatest miracle we will ever experience to be forgiven and freed of our sins. But you know what happens is, is oftentimes in the church, we're so busy looking at the sin of others and we're comparing ourselves that we forget that our sin of pride is just as egregious. Our sin of pride is just as dark. Our sin of judgment is just as egregious. Do you know that in the New Testament it says that if you have hatred in your heart, it's as if you have murder in your heart. You know, oftentimes we'll look at the murderer and we'll think that somehow they're beyond grace. Hatred in our hearts causes us to stand guilty before the cross of Jesus Christ. But guess what? There's a blood that speaks a better word that forgives us of sin and washes us and makes us clean and makes us new. And so this is what we find. 
in the book of Acts, it's extraordinary because in Acts chapter two, where this is Peter, let's, let's just all revel in Peter, who was like a reed shaken in the wind. He's the one that denies Jesus. And then because of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, here he is boldly preaching in the book of Acts as a result of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And what is he preaching? He's preaching Jesus. That's it. There's no new message with the outpouring didn't come like this new revelation or this new approach or I need a fancy approach to get the gospel to my people groups. No, it's just Jesus. It's Jesus. It's the bold proclamation of Jesus and the fact that he saves our soul from sin and death. You know, I think it's Ray Comfort that said this. He was, um, you guys familiar with Ray Comfort? I think it's, I th I'm crediting Ray. It might not be Ray Comfort, but um, somebody was asking, they said, how could you love a God who would condemn your soul to hell if you don't follow him? His response to them was, you're, you're looking at this all wrong. All of you are drowning. You're drowning. You're drowning. We're all drowning. And it's Jesus that sends a rescue. He sends a life raft. He sends a, a, an exit plan so you do not have to drown. That is the mercy of God. That is the kindness of God that he has a rescue plan for us. All of us are drowning in sin. All of us are drowning in selfishness. All of us are drowning in despair until Jesus sends a rescuer. The blood of Jesus that will cleanse us, restore us, redeem us, make us new, and give us new life. So we find this, that's Peter's great strategy in preaching the gospel is just literally putting Jesus on display. He starts in Acts chapter 2, verse 22, I think it is. Men of Israel, hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God, that you, by miracles, wonders, signs, which God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know, him being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God, you have taken by lawless hands, have crucified and put to death. So not, not only does he put Jesus on display, he charges them with the crucifixion and the death of Jesus. He doesn't let them get off the hook. For some reason, we're forever trying to make people feel really comfortable in their sin. I want to make you feel really comfortable. I don't want to make you feel uncomfortable. How about it's not until we have an awareness that we are guilty that we understand that we need a savior. So Peter doesn't hold back. He lays it out in all of its truth and all of its clarity. What if we as a church stop holding back truth? What if we start laying out truth in all of its purity and all of its clarity? How about we stop being the judge of what someone else can handle and what someone else needs? Almost like we're God. We're the all-seeing, all-knowing God. We know the internal mind and perceptions and needs of those individuals. No, you have no idea. You have no idea what God is putting his finger on. You have no idea what God is trying to expose. You have no idea what God is trying to heal. Let him do his work. Just preach Jesus. So we find this account in Acts chapter 2. The great outpouring of the Holy Spirit. They preach Jesus. They get baptized. And 3,000 are added in a day. 
Then how many of you guys are familiar with the account in Acts chapter 8? We find it, we find this again. We find a supernatural conversion. This is P, uh, Philip when he preaches to the eunuch. This is another extraordinary. The eunuch is like reading the scriptures and Philip comes along and he basically gives him insight and understanding into what he's reading. And then in verse 35, it says, then Philip opened his mouth and beginning at this scripture, preached Jesus to him. Ha ha, that's all that the eunuch needed was just preach Jesus to him. He preached Jesus to the eunuch. Verse 37, then Philip said, if you believed with your heart, oh, let me back up. I should read to you guys. 34, so the eunuch answered Philip and said, I ask you, of whom does the prophet say this of? Himself or of some other? Then Philip opened his mouth and beginning, beginning at the scripture, preached Jesus to him. Now, as they went down the road, they came to some water. The eunuch said, see, here is water. What hinders me from being baptized? <laughs> Verse 37, Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered, he said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the son of God. So this is the account in uh, Acts chapter 8. And then we found Acts chapter 10. While Peter was, and this is verse 47. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who heard the word. Verse 35. And those of the circumcision who believed were astonished as many as came with Peter. Because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also. For they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. Then Peter answered, can anyone forbid water? that these should not be baptized who have received the Holy Spirit just as that we have. And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. And they asked him to stay a few days. And then we find Acts chapter 19, again, the account of baptism, Acts chapter 22. But for the sake of time, we're actually just going to move to Romans chapter 6. And this is where we find an understanding of what baptism symbolizes and what it represents. Acts chapter 6, 1 through 8. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Verse 4. Therefore... We were buried with him through baptism into death. That just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. What do you find here in verse 4? You find that we're buried with him through baptism. That baptism is representing our life being buried with Christ the death of sin, that, that sin and the nature of sin has died in our life and that just as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also, so that the raising up is the raising up into newness of life. Verse eight, for if we have been unified together in the likeness of his death, certain we, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, 
that we should no longer be slaves to sin. For he who has died has been freed from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we shall live with him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once and for all. But the life that he lives, he lives in God. So you want to know what's extraordinary about this word baptism? When you study it in the Greek, there's actually two different words for baptism. And one is like almost like just to dip something, right? It just gets dipped. But when you study this in Romans, it's actually, it's an immersion, but it's literally something almost being saturated to the point that it can never go back to its original state. And so actually, this is kind of a cool analogy. The two ways of understanding this word of baptism is, how many of you guys know? Let's all have a little quiz here. What do pickles come from? They come from cucumbers, right? We know this, right? Right. Once it becomes a pickle, can it return to being a cucumber? Never, ever. So this is the way it, (laughs) he goes, no. Joe goes, no. But you know what's amazing is these two words that speak of baptism or immersion, first of all, if you're gonna go through the process, you literally dip the cucumber in boiling water. You dip it, boom, it's in and it's out. It's in and it's out and it's still a cucumber. It's still a cucumber, it's just a cucumber dipped in boiling water, that's it cucumber. But then there's a baptism that literally it sits and it soaks in vinegar. And that baptism literally means it's transformed. It it takes on a completely new identity and it's no longer the same. It's now a pickle. I mean, this is so simple, but for those of us that are simple-minded like me, when I was reading these two things of baptism, I think most of us have viewed baptism like the first word, just get dipped. And then I come out, I'm still the same. <laughs> just get dipped. <laughs> I got dipped in some water just to say something, whatever. Without understanding that when Jesus commands us to do something, and when he says that it has power and it has implications, I don't care what your natural mind understands. I don't care if your natural mind gets it. If Jesus said it and we obey it, guess what? We get the fullness of what he has promised when we obey his word in simplicity. And so according to the Greek, this word that's being taught here by Paul and the way that he's explaining baptism, he's literally, this word is saying an immersion that literally transforms something that it can never go back to the way that it was. Newness of life, forever changed. So the understanding here. It's first of all mortification, which means the dying to sin. This is twofold, right? It's the dying to sin or the putting off of the old man, the ceasing to do evil. So it's the death of one thing. But then second to that, it's also vivification, which is living to righteousness, putting on the new and learning to do new. So basically there's both the dying and the newness of life that we see in this passage of scripture. It's the death to sin of the old man no longer having dominion over us. I'm not saying that you may not have moments in time of temptation or struggle, but there's a difference between something coming at you and something living inside you. It's the difference between there being momentary struggles and it being your actual identity. 
The way my mom used to explain it when I was in high school and I would talk to her about temptation and sin, she was my accountability partner. So when I, <laughs> you gotta love that, having your mom as your accountability partner, keeps you straight. The way she explained it to me, and I loved it. She, I remember I was probably like 15 years old talking to her about something and she said, oh honey, she said, there's a difference. She said, there's one thing to have a bird fly over your head and like poop on you. There's a, there's a different thing to let a bird make a nest in your head. <laughs> like you're letting it live there, dwell there. You're creating an atmosphere for that thing to thrive. And this is what we have to understand about sin. Some of us are creating an atmosphere for it to thrive. We're, we're covering it, containing it, concealing it. We like it, actually. We're creating a comfortable dwelling for that bird. <laughs> we're trying not to move too much, and we don't want to rattle the bird, right? Because we want to make sure it can stay put. But you, I, want to say, I want your heart to be set free, friend. If you're of the category that when a bird flies overhead, it's pooping on you, <laughs> guess what? That is not of your doing. You actually can just, after that, take your shower, get clean, and guess what? The, the remains of that are gone. There's a place of freedom and liberty. So those are the two places that we have to understand of whether we're living under the dominion of sin, whether it's something that we're a slave to, we've become a host to, that's what the bird scenario would be, or something that we may momentarily have temptations that then we resist and we repent and we cleanse ourselves because we're not living in that place. <clears throat> Lastly, the, the biblical study Bible um, says this on Romans chapter 6. Freedom from the bondage of sin. Those who are justified by faith can have confidence that God will vindicate in, in the future judgment. But they also have the confidence that God has provided in Christ for what they need to live faithful and fruitful lives for God in the present. God not only liberates sinners from the penalty of sin justification, but also frees them from the power of sin. And so ultimately, that's what we're seeing in Romans chapter 6 is this understanding of baptism. It's, it's the proclamation, the demonstration of the fact that we have been buried with Christ and we have been raised with new life and we no longer live under the power and the dominion of sin. Ultimately, it symbolizes death to one's old way of life and the rising of newness of life in Christ. And so we probably here today and online when this is viewed, we have probably two categories of people, right? We have the category of people that have never been introduced to Jesus. You're like my second grade self. <laughs> You've been around it. You understand it. You, get the, you hear the terminology of it but you've actually never experienced the transforming power and presence of Jesus that's washed and cleansed and set you free. And I, I want to say to our community and to those that are viewing online that that is available to all of us, that he is no respecter of person. I want to say to you today that there is no sin too great. There is no addiction too powerful that you are outside the reach of God, that his grace, his mercy can reach you in any state that you're in, no matter how dark you may think it is. And so that's one category of people that have never experienced the transforming power 
of Christ that has brought us into newness of life. Or maybe you've been around it and you've heard the testimony of others, but you yourself do not have that testimony. And then there's a second group of people that some of us have actually been, um, I guess I would say born into the kingdom or introduced into the kingdom, or maybe you weren't. Maybe as a child, you heard the purity of the gospel, but now in recent years, as we as a culture have migrated and moved, we, we continually move the goalpost, right? We're moving the goalpost. But some of us have come to the understanding that somehow we are okay. That as long as we're not doing X, Y, Z, and let, let's... Just be honest, friends, the goalpost is moving in culture. Now that X, Y, Z that used to be forbidden is now become acceptable in the terms of culture and being culturally relevant sometimes in the preaching of the gospel. And so we've become of that group of people that we've kind of moved the goalposts. We're more and more comfortable in our sin then instead of us being those that declare that our life has been buried with Christ, our sin is buried with him, and we're raised to newness of life, instead we're those that name the name of Christ but continue to live under the dominion of sin without reaching for the fullness of what has been made available through the cross of Jesus Christ. And I want to tell you this morning, friend, what has been made available through the cross of Jesus Christ is freedom for your soul that you do not have to be bound in cycles of addiction, that you do not have to be bound in cycles of darkness, that you do not have to live a secret life in sin and bondage, that there's a way of escape for us, that we may be drowning, but he has thrown a lifeline. He has thrown a rescue raft. He has made a way for us to no longer be drowning. And so I'm going to pray for both groups of people that are here or online today. And also we'll be doing baptisms next week. We get to celebrate. There's some of you here this morning that all you feel in your heart is celebration because you have experienced the, the delivering power. And there's some of you that maybe have even recently rededicated your life to the Lord and you've come into a new place of commitment that this would be your opportunity for baptism, that this would be your time. So I'm gonna go ahead and I'm gonna pray for our community and then we're gonna open up the altar um, to pray for anybody that has need or wants prayer before they leave here today. Father, we just come before you this morning and we thank you for the gift of Jesus. God, we thank you, Father, that you have saved us from sin and you've saved us from ourselves. God, we confess to you this morning, Father, that left to our own devices, Lord, we are blind and we are wretched, and we are poor. We thank you that you have sent the rescuer, Jesus. We thank you for all that has been made available to us through the cross of Jesus Christ and forgiveness of sins. And God, I pray, Father, for our community, Lord, here this morning. God, I pray, Father, that even any place that we may name the name of Christ or be acquainted with Christ, but they, we are living our lives afar off from his presence and from his truth and from his light. God, we recognize, Lord, that when we live afar off from you, Lord, we become more and more comfortable in our sin.
we become more and more comfortable with our depraved state. But that when we come into the light of your truth, Lord, that that is where we see clearly and we see rightly. So God, we thank you, Father, for the promise of all that we've read in Romans chapter six this morning. And God, we say, Lord, as a community of people, Lord, we do not want to live outside or in less than all that you have made available to us. That all that has been made available through the cross of Jesus Christ, God, we say we want the fullness, the fullness of healing, the fullness of deliverance, the fullness of health, the fullness of life in victory over sin. And God, we do pray, Father, for any individual, Lord, that may be here that has never encountered the transforming power of Jesus Christ. God, I thank you, Father, that your love is greater than any of our sin. But I thank you, Father, that your mercy reaches far deeper than any of our depravity. God, I thank you, Father, that there is no sin that's too great that it's outside of your reach but Lord, that you're ever calling us and drawing us to yourself. God, we say, what a merciful God. What a merciful God. What a kind and loving God. God, I thank you, Father, not only are you kind, but you are so powerful that there is nothing too difficult for you. Lord, that in one moment in your presence, you make all things new. One moment in your presence, you wipe away years of pain and brokenness. God, I thank you, Father, that you have the ability, Lord, to wipe the slate clean. God, we marvel at your beauty. We marvel at your power. And God, we ask, Lord, that our lives would truly be those that demonstrate and display that we have been raised in newness of life newness of life, Lord, that we see differently, we think differently, we feel differently, we perceive differently, we process differently. And the freedom that can only be found in Jesus Christ. We say that there is no freedom outside of you, that all of our means and our ways, all of our therapy sessions, all of our medications, all of our vacations, Lord, that none of those can free us. That freedom is only found in Christ Jesus. And so God, we thank you for your kindness, your mercy, and your provision to us. In Jesus' name, we're going to go ahead and open up the altar. Do you have anything you want to share? We're going to open up the altar.